Welcome to the Business of Expertise podcast. If you're looking to build a brand coaching, training, or any business leveraging your skill, we're here to learn from the best. This podcast is sponsored by ExpertX.pro. ExpertX makes it simple to earn money by providing your clients and followers video feedback. Use it for free. ExpertX.pro. I am excited. We've got Julius Oliver on the podcast today. Julius is a master swim coach and his story is fantastic. This is the business of expertise. And the reason we're doing this podcast is because it's one thing to be a master at your sport. It's another thing to be able to earn your livelihood off of it. We're meeting people who have excelled at what they do and then have figured out a way to build a brand around themselves. And all of you out there who are looking to do the same or looking to grow your business, want to know how much to charge, when to charge, how to build everything from camps to online programs to remote coaching, this is for you. So today, welcome Julius. Uh, Julius and I met about six months ago, and I am just fascinated by the career he's been able to build. Julius, let's kick it off. And how did you become a swimmer? How did you end up mastering your craft? Richard, good morning. Thanks for that introduction. That was excellent. Thanks. I appreciate that. I had a fear of swimming. I'm a professional learn to swim instructor. It almost took my life as a child at the age of nine. This is back in California, San Diego. I was not a, a swimmer. I see my friend jump off the diving board. He goes under, comes back up. I was like, okay, cool. I want to do the same thing. I hop and I go on the board, jump off. Next thing you know, I'm underwater. I don't feel the floor and panic just clicks in. And it was embarrassing slash scary because I didn't want to yell out help. His mom was sitting there reading her paper. If I would have yelled help, she would have helped me, obviously, but then I wouldn't have been allowed to come back. I'm sitting there drinking half the pool as I, you know, struggle to get to the side. I got myself to the side with like a belly full of chlorinated water. That same day, I said to my parents, I really want to learn how to swim. So (laughs) my instructor at that time told me, push off this wall and just move until you get to the other side. And I did it and it actually worked. And that's it. That's the point where me as this individual, nine-year-old, uh, fell in love with the entire idea of swimming, not competitive swimming, just aquatics, the movement, the feeling of water and just being a uh, weightless. That's where my passion started. My parents relocated to the uh, East coast. And that's when I found competitive swimming. My mentor back then, freshman year of high school, he took me underneath of his wing and that's when I started lifeguarding and lifeguarding turned into competitive swimming. And I just became like an overnight you know, phenom. This was a passion where I was not near a pool, but I was still wearing goggles on my head. That's where. And where'd you go? You're, you're a great swimmer in high school. Then what happened? I missed my free ride to NYU. I ended up going to a CUNY school where I still swim competitively and set records and made it to like, you know, state finals. While in college, obviously full-time student and also you're swimming over 20 plus hours a week and training. So my time was limited. So I ended up working at Macy's as a stock boy. Once I was done with school, I started to pursue work again. And then I reached back out to the place where I was lifeguarding at. They had an opening, an administrative position. I was the coordinator for private swimming lessons. So whenever an instructor didn't show up, I would have to suit up and substitute. They liked my instruction better than the actual instructor that I was setting them up with. So it came to a part where they were like, hey, how can we get you? <laughs> how can we get you as the actual instructor? I was like, oh, this is not my thing. I'm like, I'm the pencil paper guy upstairs. People just start talking. In life, if you're good at something, whether it be singing, acting, dancing, but it doesn't have to be anything athletic uh, gear. When you're good at something, I started to take on a couple of clients there at this club, a prestige club up, up in uh, New York City, Upper, uh, Upper East Side. At the end of each single session, they would give me a gratuity on top of what they already paid for the sessions. 
It wasn't for the holidays. It wasn't around December. It was every week. It was every lesson. That was the, the first signal to let me know my worth. And at what point did you decide to branch out on your own? A couple of clients inquired, hey, would you interested in working outside of here? Okay. So 2001 was my first year of branching outside of that club or becoming, you know, my own involved. So, so just that one client, all just word of mouth back in 2001 has turned into what it is today, which is I'm this individual who lives a pretty comfortable life with a family of three kids, beautiful wife. It's a blessing. Let, let's jump a little bit into the business side of this. Cause I think that's always okay. a challenge. People are really good at what they do then to figure out, okay, how do I build a business around this? Yeah. What's the best thing you've done for the Julius business of swim coaching? It was never forced, Richard. It, it just moved. It, it just flowed. I'm one single and one man band. Have you thought about hiring people and having yeah. coaches under you? I thought about this back in 2009 because I was at a point where I was already triple booked and I had no more space. Several people would inquire, hey, would you know of anyone else? Of course, I would pass along names and everything. But then I said to myself, why aren't you trying to you know, gain something off of this? Hey, I'm curious why you didn't end up hiring coaches and have a team under you. Yes, and I have a client, great friend of mine. We have a very nice, friendly relationship. I ran the idea past him. And he tells me, Julius, listen, the day you do that is going to be your downfall because you're excellent. You're amazing. As soon as the, the client has one such a great experience with one of my instructors, obviously I'm tethered to that. It's going to take my brand to send it. I said, okay, you do have a point there. But then again, you know, he comes from a different era. Whatever. He's like maybe 20 years older than me. So he's probably a little bit more old fashioned and doesn't understand that everything is networking. You know, networking is the, the key to growth. So last year, 2019, was my first year of hiring instructors to work on anything. So I did have a, a, a team of 11. I had seven instructors working in the Hamptons with me, and I had three working in New York City. So that, that was excellent, actually. Out of the 11 instructors I had, I had to get rid of a couple, like three or four. I have my own schedule. It was hard to manage and coordinate my own schedule and to coordinate 11 other in individuals. So I hired someone to do that. And... She was paid very, very well. Unfortunately, she didn't work out. So I had to start from, start from scratch again and, of course, got rid of her and then just going to someone else. It worked out. And unfortunately, the reason why I was not able to do that this year is just because of what everyone on this planet is going through right now. Got it. Let, let me ask you a question that everyone wonders yeah. about. It's very sensitive, which is how do you handle pricing? When do you decide to raise prices and how do you address that with people? So great question. In the beginning, I would mirror my prices with the clubs, the, the gyms in my former club that I worked at. I would see what they were charging per hour, per half an hour. And I would make my rate maybe a couple of dollars less. The next year, they would probably increase and I would, I would pick my price of a couple more dollars. But then as time went by, I started to change my prices according to some, what some of my clients were telling me. I have clients in the, in the market, sports figures, actors, actresses, and everything else. So one of my clients ran it by me and they said, Hey, Julius, listen, you're in demand and you should raise your prices. I know it sounds kind of odd. I'm the client. I'm the one who pays you and I'm telling you to charge me more. Once he told me, it, it, it actually did make sense. It was a, pretty much if the prices were like entry level to swim with me, then my phone would just ringing and notifications. That's phenomenal. I mean, is, okay. so, basically, yeah. so basically, is your entire business word of mouth? Is there any real marketing that you do? It's word of mouth for the past four years now. 2016 was my first time hopping onto the whole social media platforms. I was not listing pricing or sessions or packages through there, but I was posting very short, slow motion clips of what I, what I specialize in, which is teaching 
anyone to how to swim, whether it be an adult, how to work on their technique on freestyle to train for a triathlon or to actually get um, someone's uh, 16 month old comfortable with being submerged underneath the water. Parents would see a kid less than the age of three, totally independent, floating on their back comfortably, confidently. That was generating direct messages. That was the engine that was pulling in new clientele for my instructors that were working for me last year. There are other swim coaches out there. There are other people who teach everyone from babies to adults. Why? If you had to nail that, what makes the interactions with you remarkable that people say, this is the guy? For those people out there, you've got a celebrity clientele that will stick with you through thick and thin. What about your interactions? And, and is it personality? Is it skill? Is it your very outcome focused or some combination of all three of those? Excellent question. Number one, we don't force. We wanted each single session or, or interaction with the instructor to be as, as comfortable as possible. From the first time greeting to the departure, the more comfortable the individual is, the, the, the easier they actually take to that task at hand. Also, another thing that we do, we're anti-boredom. We don't do textbooks. You're like a friend. You're like the aunt or the uncle. You're coming just to hang out. And with that vibe in the air, it puts everyone at ease that, hey, we're in excellent hands right now. And talk to me about the swimmer who's now a year into it with you. They're, they're good swimmers, right? They're good, but yep. they continue to stick with you. What about those interactions? Why do they keep me on board? It's because of the energy level. I'm also viewed as like a mentor, whether it be for a six-year-old kid who just learned how to swim freestyle or whether it's like, you know, one of my older swimmers who are like the age of 17 or 16 that now we're actually not only are we swimming, but we're actually skipping rope and we're doing planks and push-ups and everything. They call it dry land training for competitive swimming. For people listening, I think there's something out there that's innate, natural about mm-hmm. you that people could spend a lifetime trying to learn, but they wouldn't get that energy level. It's just a reminder for people to keep in their heads that, that people respond to your energy. I right. totally agree. It never becomes it never becomes dull. Love having you on. Awesome. We'll have your email for people who want to reach out to you now that they've heard about what a magnetic coach you are. Awesome, Richard. You have a nice one. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Business of Expertise. Please tell your friends, shout it from the rooftops, and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe.